If you would open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We are, for just a few weeks until Easter, we're taking this time to look and examine the last week of Christ's life, the Passion Week. And we're going to look at just four aspects of who he is and what he did. Now, I was talking to a second grader this week, and I said, what's your favorite joke? His response to me was, what do you call a camel with three humps? Pregnant. Come on, you got to love second grade humor. That's good playground humor there. Uh, John 13. Last time we talked about Jesus was anointed, wasn't he, by Mary. And as she takes this very costly spikenard oil and she anoints him with the very best she has, her hair, her glory, according to Corinthians 15, preparing him for death, Judas jumps in and says, why are you wasting this? And of course, Christ leaps as the great shepherd protecting his sheep. We talked about Jesus. Yes, he was anointed for death, but at the same time, we also see the shepherd's heart loving his people. And here this morning, we're going to see Christ as the servant, serving his people. In John 12, Christ enters Jerusalem as the king, doesn't he? The triumphal entry. And this begins what we know as Passion Week, John 13 to chapter 17. His public ministry is over now. He's in the upper room with his disciples, and he's preparing the disciples for the cross over the Passover meal. Now, this is Jesus' third public ministry Passover. And for the first time, he's the head of the feast that we see. And he's offering to them the sacrificial lamb. This is the only sacrifice, amazingly, we ever see Jesus, the sinless one, making the day before he goes to the cross. Now the disciples are arguing in the midst of this, who will sit at Jesus' left and who will sit at his right? Jesus then stuns them with how he responds to their bickering. So let's just read John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pray for our time this morning. Lord Jesus, I praise you that if Christ washes us, we're clean. Lord, we stand before the Lord. We stand before the Father in a position that is clean. Some of us coming from the dirtiest of backgrounds, having broken the law with thought, word, and deed, and continue to do so in extraordinary ways. Father, but your grace is so sufficient, your cleansing so complete that you say, if I've cleansed you, you're clean. And yet at the same time, our feet are in the world and we need to come to you on a daily basis to refresh our heart and renew it. God, show us your glory. Show us the greatness of Christ as one who has cleansed us when we put our faith in Christ Jesus and one who continues to clean us as a father does his children, longing for that close relationship. Use your word, Lord. Penetrate our souls today. Give us enabling grace. Transform us. Let us know your fathering and your love today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, actions often speak louder than words, don't they? Right? Often actions convey a more powerful message than words do, which reminds me of a farmer who was stuck in the middle of the road with his donkey. And the farmer's going down the road, and his donkey wouldn't move anymore, and he had to be somewhere. So he's yelling at him. He's screaming at him. He's giving him all the bad language he knows to try to get this donkey up and going. And the donkey would do nothing. He just sat there. And the man was utterly frustrated. Well, the second farmer comes walking down the road and sizes up the situation and says, Do you need help? first farmer says, well, I mean, I've been at it for a couple hours. I can't get him to move. I don't know what you could do that I couldn't do, but yeah, go for it. The second farmer just goes over to the ditch, piddles around for a second, and pulls out a big club. He comes back, looks at the donkey straight in his face, and like he would with a baseball, just whack right between the eyes. Then he just backs off, drops his stick, And with a quiet voice says, come. And the donkey gets up and starts moving. And the first farmer said, how did you do that? That's amazing. And he said, yes, it is. But before I did anything, I got his attention first, didn't I? You know, and that's exactly what we see here with Jesus, with his disciples. Christ's actions get our attention Sometimes more than his words, especially in this situation. In John 13, Christ has his last full night with his disciples. You can think it'd be a pretty incredible time. He wants to teach his disciples many things before he goes to the cross. What he would do, what it all means to be his disciple, the Holy Spirit coming. Mark and Luke both record the disciples. What are they doing? 
in that upper room, they're bickering. They're arguing who's going to be the greatest. And in the midst of their arguing who's going to be the greatest, it says he loved them, meaning Jesus, to the end. He stepped down then from the head of the feast and assumed the position of a servant, taking their dirty feet into his hands, and with his sacrificial love, he washed them. Almost like that farmer taking a club, whack, right between the eyes. In other words, in the midst of their pride, their jealousy, and their sin, Jesus showed his love to them, which for his disciples, he says, it's to the end. Often Christians feel like, and sometimes I feel like, and you probably do as well, that Jesus' love for me, his commitment to me, has an end. All Christians have tested that love through their wanderings, turning away from God and having cold seasons of the heart, seasons where, like the disciples, we are in hot pursuit of making our name great. And amazingly, if Christ has adopted you, if you are a born-again Christian, the Father's love for you has not cooled in the slightest degree. The fire of God's love still burns as bright for you as it did when you first professed your love for him because he loves his son and you're joined to his son. So here's our main idea that we're going to talk about today. Jesus loves his disciples to the end. That means you. That means me. Jesus loves us to the end. Okay? To the end of what, Rusty? Well, there's two things we want to see with that. First is... Jesus loves you to the end of himself. So if you're taking notes, that's point one. Jesus loves you to the end of himself. If you'll look in the Bibles with me at verse 3, verse 3. Notice the authority that the text starts with. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now stop. Why is that there? This is a story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Why does it tell us about his authority and where his authority had come from? And the answer is, it's affirming the power and authority of God that rested in this foot washer's hands. One who is about to take the dirty feet of his disciples into his hands and on the cross take the dirty feet of all the believers in the world onto his body is also one who has the power of all things in his hands. In other words, this one has the power to really cleanse you. Do you see that? Do you see that's the reason he's starting here telling you his authority? Now, notice where Jesus is. He's at the head of the table. The Passover feast, they're all sitting around a low table. They'd be leaning on pillows. Jesus is serving the feast. Luke 22 describes it like this. There arose a dispute amongst them as to who would be the greatest or who would have the most privileged seat at the table. And Jesus says, He who is greatest amongst you, let him be as the younger. And he who leads as he who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? 
Now, you would think there would be a reverence, right? <laughs> you would think there'd be a reverence at taking the Passover, Thanksgiving, all that Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. No. What are the disciples doing? They're arguing like your children do at a table. Who's going to sit in the position of the honor at the left and the right at the feast? They wanted to be honored. They wanted to be recognized. They want to be great. And Jesus says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Now, when the feast began, the host would take the cup. There'd be four cups, the cup of wine, and he gives thanks for the whole last year. And then he would wash his hands in an offering or a bowl of water, a sacrificial bowl, and then he proceeds. Look at verse 4. Look what Jesus does. He rose from the supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. So he rose from the supper. They're all sitting around. He goes to the basin where the servants would go. And Peter is there somewhere. He takes a towel and he girds himself, which means he covers himself like a servant or a slave with a towel. And they've got to be wondering, what is he doing? And then he takes water and he pours it into the basin. And he starts with Peter. And instead of washing his hands, which might have been expected, the clean part of the body, he became their servant. He kneels down and he washes the dirtiest part. Remember, he just said, who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Now, there's two amazing messages here. First, I am here to serve you by washing your life from the dirt of sin. Like verse 4, all things are given into his hands. The salvation of man had been given into his hands. Christ came to serve by taking the dirty hearts of the world into his hands and washing them. Second, by declaring the servant to be the greatest, he is also declaring his own greatness and saying the greatness of God is about to be shown to you and to the world. Not only is my greatness going to be seen in serving you, but you are about to see the glory and the greatness of God because he is going to die on the cross. The only way to clean the world through a once-for-all sacrifice of God himself. They were shocked. They were humble. And like Jesus says, they wouldn't get it until the other side of the cross. Actions speak louder than words often. So what is Jesus telling them about his love and us as well? In a small town up north, there was an example of sacrificial love I want to tell you about, and it's a, it's a fairly well-known story. You might have heard it. We're two brothers. And these brothers one evening went out to play after dinner. And so they lived on a big creek, and this, or actually called a river, and this river had barges going up and down in it. And so periodically it would have a dredge come through the river. And the dredge would dig up all the sand and silt, take it over to the bank and dump it. And there were these amazing sand piles for children to play in. You can imagine if you were a child, that's where you'd want to go. 
all kind of cool stuff hoisted out of the river that you could see on the banks. But the danger was when the water ran out, often what would be there were unseen crevices and caves. And if you were climbing to the top, you could fall through. And when you did, an avalanche of sand would often come around you. And that's exactly what happened here. The boys didn't return home, and the parents formed a search party to go find them. They looked all around. Finally, one man was on top of one of the sand dunes, and there he sees one of the boys' heads, only his head sticking out. And he quickly yells, and they form a team, and they begin to dig through the silt and the sand, and they get his chest where he's free, and he takes a giant breath and resuscitates. And they ask him the million-dollar question, where's your brother? And the boy says, I'm standing on his shoulders. I'm standing on his shoulders. My friends, so too did Christ, through his sacrifice, save many. Though having all authority, he became our servant to death to make us clean before God. This is how God saves people, that is, by a transfer of punishment from those who deserve it, that's us, but can't bear it, to one who can bear it, God himself coming down and who can take it. And he took it. He didn't serve by just passing the potatoes. (laughs) But he put their dirtiest thing in his hands and he washed it, getting on his knees, getting wet and dirty himself. And he tells us in verse 15, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. So the example is this. Wherever you sit at the table, in Dothan, Alabama, or Headland, or wherever you're from, whatever authority you might have, whatever titles, accomplishments, positions, you are to serve people in such a way around you that they are humbled and shocked at how you love them and how you care for them. Why? Verse 16, the servant is no greater than the master. We are servants of the master foot washer. We serve people even in the dirtiest and most rejected of places and people to point them towards a Savior who takes the dirtiest of lives and in his hands and by faith washes them and makes them clean fills them with his spirit, adopts them, and the way we serve them shows the glory of the Savior who serves them. Point two. Jesus loves his disciples to the end. End of what? The end of himself. Second, Jesus loves you to the end of yourself. Verses 6 to 10. Verses 6 to 10 in your Bibles. Years ago, In the Hebrew world, a man would go to a feast. If you were coming to the Milton Hilton for a feast, our house, and you lived years ago, you would arrive in your best garments, right? And you would look spiffy. But there's one problem. Your feet, they would not be so spiffy. They would be dirty. And so the house servant 
or the house slave would come and they would wash the dirty part of you, your feet. Now, you need to understand that before you look at the text. Now, look at your text. Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus goes to the basin. Instead of washing his hands, he turns to Peter. Peter, Lord, are you washing my feet? He's shocked. He's in utter surprise. Normally, the head would distinguish himself by washing his hands and showing that now, like a surgeon who's just washed his hands, I am clean, put on the gloves, I can handle the situation. That's normally what would happen. Now I can handle the sacrifice. I'm clean. Christ does just the opposite. He goes to make Peter clean and righteous. Now look what he says. Notice his warning. If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. What does he mean by part? Portion with Christ. Well, it's just this. If we don't allow him to cleanse us, nothing of his is ours. His death, his sacrifice, his saving blood, his love, his adoption, we're aliens from God and his grace. Unless we put our sins into his hands through repentance and faith, we are still dirty before God. That's the gospel. Now, he explains side by side the washings in verse 9 and 10. Peter says, wash everything. (laughs) He misunderstood, didn't he? Jesus corrects him. Notice two things here in Jesus' correction. First, Christians are completely and finally clean. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. He's completely clean. Theologically, we call this definitive sanctification. When you become a Christian, Jesus has washed you clean. Washing never needs to be repeated. Your position before the Father is now clean. You are righteous. You can never be lost. You are converted. And we should all click our heels and say, Hallelujah, I am clean before the Father. But he goes on, doesn't he? Christians must come to Christ for daily washing. Look there in your scriptures. He that is washed does not need but to have his feet washed. You're still in the world. You still have a sinful heart. And like a person walking through the mud with no shoes, you still collect dirt on your feet, which daily needs to be brought to Christ to clean Sin has a deafening, drying, demining, dimming effect upon your heart. It just does. And the longer we stay away from Christ in terms of communion and worship with him, the dirtier our feet get and the dimmer we feel, isn't it, spiritually? And so we need to come to him daily and worship, placing our dirty feet into his hands, asking him to wash them and change them. And what we find is a new closeness in our relationship as he does that. How do I daily get washed by Christ in his word? How do you do that? John 15, 3. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now, I still have a hard time believing that the day before the cross, 
the disciples are so concerned about who would be the greatest. They've heard all this amazing teaching, and their hearts are full of jealousy, anger towards each other. And what they needed was to be washed by Christ from the inside out. My friends, if you are a Christian, you've been washed by Christ, yet Jesus says you still need to have your feet clean. Our hearts still need to be cleaned. How do you do that? Well, I think Christians can take two very wrong approaches. First, we can feel guilty about everything. We never feel clean. We go around and we always feel condemned. Every day we take a whip to ourselves, always demanding perfection and beating ourselves up when we fail. Is that right? But on the other hand, sometimes we grow real comfortable with dirty feet. So we never deal with the sins in our lives, and we become blind to it, and we can become distant from Jesus. The Spirit unlocks God's Word, and the Word reveals the heart. Let me just read to you John 16, 13. The Spirit will guide you in all truth. Listen, before we open the Word, before you come to worship, before you have time in prayer, I want to encourage you, pray the Holy Spirit would reveal the truths of your heart. In other words, reveal the dirt that's there. And guess what? As you read the Word, it begins to be revealed what's in our heart. Word and Spirit showing us what's in our heart that's distancing us relationally, not positionally, from Jesus. And then through Word and Spirit, as you see it, then you're able to come to Jesus with it and say, Lord, I see what's bringing a relational distance. Would you take my pride? Would you take my anger and wash it? And he does. And that's when we begin to experience amazing joy in our relationship with Jesus. How do we think and live this? How do we get this from our heads to our heart? And we'll close with this. Humility. Let's close with this. Humility serves those that you may not like. Humility serves those that you may not like. Verse 11. Not all of you are clean. Verse 21. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Please listen. Jesus washes all their feet while making no distinction, doesn't he? You know who that includes? Judas. We know this because at the end, when he says, one of you will betray me, the disciples looked around because they were uncertain who he's talking about. He makes no distinction as he moves around and washes all their feet. He did not separate Judas or treat him any differently, even though Judas had been stealing from them and was about to sell Christ to be killed for 30 pieces of silver. What does that mean for you? First, outward religious ceremonies have no grace if there's not an inward faith in Christ. If Jesus washing your feet will not change Jesus' heart or save him, then taking the Lord's Supper or baptism or any religious experience gives no grace without an inward faith and work of the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is Judas, he experienced it all. And yet his heart wasn't changed. He had no faith. Second, and we'll finish with this. 
You are called in humility to serve those you don't like, who are not Christians, who have betrayed you, just like Judas. Sometimes Christians can set up two circles. These are the ones that I'm willing to serve, my Christian brothers and sisters and friends, and these are the ones I'm not, the dirty. Well, Jesus just has one circle as he serves them all. Notice Christ even says in verse 18, I know whom I have chosen. He's saying, even though I have not chosen Judas to my disciples, I still washed his feet. I still invited him to come and to be clean. My friends, he tells us, go and do likewise. Here is our calling as well to the church and to the world. Our service reflects to them his service to get our hands deeply and dirtily involved in the world without being offended by their sin, without saying, obviously, these people are beyond God's salvation. We need to show them that Jesus loves them to the end of himself, and the way we do that is fearlessly being involved in their lives and serving them, even the dirtiest, even those who have betrayed you. Why? Because that's how they see the glory of Christ. And it is seeing and knowing the glory of Jesus Christ that they will believe, repent, and be saved. And God uses us like that. And that's the reason he says, you go and do the same. Show them the Savior and how you serve them and who you're willing to serve. Father, I just thank you so much um, for our Savior who doesn't just give us an example, it gives us a calling. Lord, we have no prerogative, no right as your disciples to choose whom we are willing to serve. Lord, Jesus served Judas, the one who would betray him, the one whom he just rebuked, a thief. Lord, and he washes his feet. God, and you call us to go do the same. And Lord, I pray it wouldn't just be acts of service. Lord, I pray that you would use us Show us people all around us that we can serve and serve in such a way that they are astonished, just like the disciples. When they saw Jesus get up from the table and come over and take the basin, they were astonished. And I pray, God, that our service of people would astonish them. And yet, at the same time, it wouldn't be about our greatness. It would be about pointing them to the master foot washer who alone can wash and save them. Give us the grace through your Holy Spirit to do that as we commune with you in your word and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.